Welcome to the Cross to Crown Podcast, where we keep the system out of theology and the baby out of the bathwater. We keep the text in its context and the new in the new covenant. Our mission is to help you live intentionally Christ-obsessed in all things. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Cross the Crown podcast. This is episode 24, Sex. Yep, you heard me right. So let me just throw <laughs> this out right away. If you are listening to this podcast in the car or somewhere where your kids are at, this might be a good a podcast to listen to but without them around. Just let you know just ahead of time. So parental warning right there for you. Um, uh, we're not going to get explicit or anything like that, but we, we do want to let you know that that's our topic today. So uh, 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 do 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 uh, your parental responsibility in that, and we'll leave that to you. Uh, I'm Chris Fails, and this is Doug Gooden. Hello, everyone. And uh, we we uh, we yeah, just want to let you know this is the Valentine's Day episode. <laughs> we we've been planning this for a while, making sure that that this was going to fit right in there. So this this ought to be right dropping the week of, of Valentine's Day. So so this is our gift to you, uh, married couples. Uh, happy Valentine's Day. Of course, do you, do you guys celebrate, Doug, do you, do you guys celebrate Valentine's Day? Uh, we do off and on, you know, I don't like to, uh, I don't like to live my uh, marriage uh, according to the Hallmark holidays. <laughs> uh, so it's not as big deal for us as some maybe, uh, but we do at our church, for instance, because uh, one of the things we do is we, uh, we have the, the youth and the college single ministry watch kids. And uh, for years, we actually did a really nice, I would say, you know, at least four-star quality dinner at our church building uh, for married couples. It had live music, a piano, jazz pianist kind of thing, and it was really great. We're not we're not doing it this year, but uh, yeah, we, uh, we'll do something. Uh, well, you know, every day is Valentine's Day for us. <laughs> I like that. Every day is Valentine's Day for us. <laughs> yeah, we, 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 didn't, we didn't really do much of it with it uh, when we first got married, and um, uh, I mean, we'd do cards, but we wouldn't make like the big date where you had to fight to get a reservation and all that, which is too crazy. Plus, I mean, traffic here, getting out on that type, time that night, is just just nuts. But we've sort of turned it around a little bit uh, where it, it's almost become like a father-daughter date night or not necessarily on that night. But at that time, um, I'll take my little girl out, little girl, she's 10 years old now, take her out for some type of an event. And, and my wife will um, have dinner with my son or something, my little boy. Um, so it's just a fun thing like that, typically. Yeah. That's that's basically that, and we take an opportunity to buy a bunch of chocolate. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a uh, it's funny how big those um, Reese's peanut butter cups get during the holidays. Oh. Those big giant hearts. Oh man, stock up on those at right after Valentine's Day. They're five bucks for Valentine's Day, but afterwards they're like seventy five cents. So yes, I, I can see why we're doing this episode after the stewardship of the body. The body episode. one. That's yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so so uh, let's 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 talk a little bit. What um, <clears throat> about you're you're going? You got a busy schedule coming up right now. You're getting ready to do some conferences. What are you doing? Yeah. So uh, my wife and I speak a few times a year at uh, at churches and conferences on marriage. Mm-hmm. And uh, so next weekend, the weekend uh, I guess Valentine's Day is what Wednesday. So it's the the weekend following that. 
Uh, we are speaking at the, the castle at Glen Erie here in Colorado Springs. Uh, it's the uh, the home of the Navigator Ministry. Most people are probably familiar with that ministry. Beautiful, gorgeous old castle that uh, I forget how many years ago, uh, the man who founded Colorado Springs um, created this castle for his wife from England, and his wife came over and hated it and went back and <laughs> lived with the parents in, uh, in England. <laughs> Uh, bummer, right? Um, anyway, so the Navigators got a hold of this uh, some years ago, and uh, it's just a beautiful setting. And every year they have what they call Connect at the Castle, and couples can come and spend the weekend there in the beautiful, uh, you know, foothills here of uh, of uh, Pikes Peak. And uh, my wife and I will be speaking Friday night, Saturday a, co- a few times, and then Sunday morning I'll be uh, preaching. They have kind of a, a worship service there. So we're going to talk about uh, marriage. We're going to talk about uh, headship and submission, and then we're going to talk about uh, sex. We're going to spend quite a bit of time there because it's just a topic that a lot of a lot mm-hmm. of uh, even conference speakers don't get into so much. Mm-hmm. And then the weekend after that, we're doing basically the same thing in a, uh, uh, a town north of Cedar Rapids, Iowa, uh, for some of the folks there in the heartland. Mm-hmm. So by the time you do finish the conference and this podcast gets released, you're going to be known as the New Covenant Theology Dr. Ruth. <laughs> yes. I, I have had a few people say you're the sex guy, right? right. It could be worse. I'm okay yeah, with that. <laughs> what guy uh, wants to not be known as that? Glen Erie. Is, is that um, there, there's a place in England, isn't there? Glen Erie? Mm-hmm. So it was yeah. named after. Okay. All right. I'm trying to remember. There's a there's a song. As soon as you said that, there's a there's a song going in my head that has the, the word Glen Erie in it, and it's saying with an accent. And I cannot remember the song, so I have to Google it when I finish up the podcast today because it's going to drive me nuts till I figure it out. You know, one of those things. So uh, yeah, um, we've had some uh, big event happen this week uh, in America. For those of you who are listening outside, uh, we had uh, the State of the Union address, and it's uh, been a Big issue, more of a an issue than it has been in previous years because of the shutdown and the whole drama with uh, uh, you're invited, no long, no, no, you're not invited. It's okay, I'll come anyways. Uh, no, you're not coming. We're not going to let you lock the doors. Let not let the president in, type thing. Um, okay, fine. I'll wait till it's open. Government reopens. President is reinvited, and the president goes to speak. And I'll tell you what, I, I was impressed. Um, it, it's it was a, a speech that uh, I think he, they said it was one of the longest or the longest since uh, Reagan. Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton. Clinton. Okay, Bill Clinton. And um, it, it went by fast because it was filled with uh, a lot of great stuff. It was very. I was. <laughs> I gotta be. I gotta admit, I was shocked because it was announced that this was gonna be a message of unity. And if you know Trump, if you follow Trump, uh, the news, most people don't associate unity with Trump, but there was a lot of great positive stuff, a lot of good news about the, 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 the country, the economy, jobs, and things like that. He had some special guests that were very, uh, it was neat to see. First time ever uh, in the state of a un- middle of a state of a union address that the happy birthday was sung to uh, <laughs> someone, and it, it was incredible. I mean, the guy's going to, he's, he's a uh, 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 Holocaust survivor, and um, he will be able to say that the Congress of the United States uh, saying happy birthday to him on this night of the State of the Union. That's just an incredible thing. I was like, that is, yeah. I was telling my kids, I said, you know, do you understand what's going on here? I have my kids watch it with me. Um, I try to, when we have elections and stuff, when there's voting going on, I take them in the booth with me. I try to introduce them to it because I want them to be a good steward of the citizenship that they've been blessed with. And uh, so I'm trying, I was sitting there watching the State of the Union. I, it's, it's really fun because my kids, 
my two little ones, especially my daughter right now, is really interested in it. She gathers around like, you know, the, 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 the computer and we're watching it. And uh, she's asking questions like, who's that? What's that? What, what does that mean? And uh, I think this State of the Union was, was really uh, different than the others because of the fact that we had that issue of abortion come up in it. And the president made a hard stand calling it evil. Uh, it, declaring that uh, children were made in the image of God. And as we discussed a while ago, you know, his theology is not where we're at, and he's not—we um, don't believe he's a Christian, but we believe there's common grace here, and we believe that he is being used for that purpose. And so uh, uh, we're, we're excited to what was brought out in that speech, and uh, I hope uh, more comes about with it. Do you have any comments about that? Yeah, I, it, it's the boldest statement about abortion that I can remember a, a president making in, in that kind of venue. Um, you know, I wasn't paying careful attention to politics and things when Ronald Reagan was the president. He's the last one I can think of that might have said something. I know his, his famous quote since then was, uh, I've noticed that all of those who are for abortion have already been born, which mm -hmm. I think is a, a great line. But certainly presidents since him, I, I just never heard them say, you know, these are babies who were, were killing and they're never going to have the chance to live. And uh, uh, again, his, you know, no one is, at least nobody that I know is, is uh, professing that Trump is a, a Christian that we should model ourselves after. We have no idea of the state of his soul. Well, maybe we do. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of reason to doubt his genuine profession of faith. But to have a man in that place be willing to say those words, what it does for me is, and, and our kids uh, had our kids watch it as well, and we talked about it. What it does for me is says, okay, for so long now, we have felt this uh, this this fear about speaking out mm -hmm. for pro life things in our culture because the government and the media, everybody's against it. Now that the president has said it, it should just embolden us as Christians yeah. to say. We have the the highest you know official in our land saying that uh, this is this is wrong. We as Christians, especially because we know the real issues, must be more vocal and more active in the saying this is wrong. We got to stop this. Uh, and I'll I'll go so far as to say this, and uh, I don't know how we transition from sex to Trump, but um, I'll go so far as to say this, and uh, and people can send you all the the hate mail if they want to. <laughs> I'm just I'm struggling um, to see how a Christian votes Democratic on anything at this point, mm. because this is abortion has become their platform. Mm. You you are not going to have you're not going to be a candidate for any office in the in the Congress the presidency. You're, you're just not if you're not pro-abortion. I, I, I'm willing to bet that that's how this plays out, that they will not put anybody up there. And uh, they just made this the, the heart of their party. And we we as Christians have to weigh that very carefully. Yeah, I mean. It was my kids asked. I, I like to, to to hear the questions my kids ask because of uh, their their youth and and lack of experience. But um, when they saw many of the women in white, and you know, at first they asked, "Are these, uh, you know, what are they, is this mean? Is there a good symbol to this?" And I said, "Well," and I explained to them about the women's suffrage movement and everything like that. And I said, "Let's just watch and see what what they do." And sure enough, um, my my kids picked up on it. My, my daughter picked up on it instantly. That uh, these this folks these folks on this side were frowning, were smear, sneering, um, would not applaud to anything about the life of the child in a positive way. Um, they they this this was bad news for them that the president stood up and said that, and uh, so they noticed that instantly. And it's, it, it was it was a very 
very telling. Um, I mean, just it's it was incredible display uh, in before your eyes. Uh, folks, there was one the, the, some folks who would say, you know, cheer for the life of a child and others who cheer for the death of a child um, at other occasions. And this occasion, when the life is, is being advocated, they sit in silence or they 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 have these sneers on their faces. Um, it's very sad. It was very sad to see that. Um, and uh, uh, we need to continue to pray for our country, folks. Uh, pray, pray for everybody who's involved in these these laws. Um, pray for doctors, pray for people who are getting abortions. We talked about this last week. Just keep praying, pray, pray, pray all the time and, and, and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, we know laws are helpful, but they don't change people's hearts or lives. It's only the gospel of Jesus Christ. So keep, well, I'd say one more thing. Mm -hmm. Um, let's, you know, if anybody has an inclination to be a little more active uh, on the pro-life movement, now's the time Mm -hmm. because I think the reason we saw the, uh, the law in New York and the attempted law in Virginia, I think the uh, pro-abortion folks are very concerned about the Supreme Court. Right. Yep. And in fact, there's something that they're going to render pretty soon, apparently, and mm-hmm. a decision that could have an impact here. And uh, and so they are trying to do as much as they can to dig in mm-hmm. before it... We need to be praying like crazy. We need to speak up, call a congressman. Uh, we, yeah, it's, it's yeah. time to take some action. From what I understand, the... Uh law that was passed in new york was a preemptive measure because of something they were sure was getting ready to happen the same thing with virginia and i believe like i said uh, before that i think there's five other states who have something cooking right now um yeah virginia are you following what's going on in virginia yeah crazy mess what a mess um so what is that behind you by the way is that pacific rim is that is that your favorite movie i'm in my boy's room My, my oldest son uh, th- those are my, my two boys have this room and, uh, it's okay, uh, Chris, if, if it's really your room, you can tell me. I won't, I won't tell anybody <laughs> that's, else. That's if, the Lego movie yeah, poster. Just, There's a star Wars poster. Just admit it. It's Pacific okay. Rim. Yeah. So the wall is covered with, with stuff like that. So <laughs> no, my, mine, um, my, my man cave, uh, my, my garage where I work out is, is, uh, covered with star Wars. And, um, it was anyways, I moved it recently. I had to take everything down, move everything. It'll go back up with a lot of star Wars stuff. Uh, Superman, I even have a Justice League poster because I know how much you like that uh, movie. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, that's the worst. My 14-year-old son just like halfway through said, this is the worst movie I've ever <laughs> seen. It was a good movie. The only problem is... is what? Is it, it, was, it was a good movie. It was Except supposed the acting to be, and the directing and the script. It was and, supposed to have been better. I don't know if you're aware of all the ins and outs, but we won't uh, get into it. Uh, really will save that for some other nerd. time. Yeah, so... Um, <laughs> let's transition somehow <laughs> to our topic. <laughs> let's let's talk about sex. Um, which was a George Michael's song title, I guess. Um, <laughs> sorry about that. Uh, let let's let's ask the question. It's uh, it's it's everywhere. Sex is everywhere. We look around our culture right now. Um, you can't go outside your door without some type of uh, sexual image sexual sounds as far as like what you hear on the radio or music um discussions uh it, it permeates everywhere uh, maybe as a as a child you're unaware of it but as you get older of course you you become very aware of what's going on in our culture um so it's it's everywhere um children are are actually hit with it at a younger age than ever before uh the 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 exposure to pornography uh, for kids has gone to to you know 
was it uh six or seven years old was it like a lot yeah. yeah and um there were so so there's this age of innocence that used to be around um that's not there anymore this this unknowing this mystery kids from earlier age of schools public schools are pushing it in fact there's a, a right here in san diego there was a big thing that just went on with um extreme extreme sex education that was being uh, introduced into the school and um the, the the school board met and the parents showed up and they shut the meeting down unfortunately bef- early because of the fact that they just could not answer the parents parents were just outraged this was being taught so and you can imagine what california is doing um so it's everywhere uh as adults as a man you go out and and uh it's used for for advertisement to get your attention uh it's for women it's it's in clothing um it's just everywhere we go there's there's this sex 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 we're seeing young christians uh people kids who who grow up uh even in the church and such and as they go get to college and such there's this very skewed understanding of sex and sexuality in some churches too now uh and again we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna stay narrow today, but this topic is a broad topic that, that branches out into many other 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 limbs and such. But we're gonna try to keep it limited today. But we want to talk first of all about a biblical understanding of sex, and and uh, let's let's do that by asking um, what is the purpose of sex? What what does the Bible give as the reason, or I should say, purposes for sex? Yeah, and I, I think it's important that I'm glad we're doing this and and trying to stay positive. Uh, mm-hmm. That's really what my heart here is because mm-hmm. the uh, the warnings of all the things that, and addressing the things you just list, listed. That's what Christians are so easy, mm-hmm. easy um, so willing to talk about. Mm-hmm. What they're not willing to talk about is is sort of in a positive way. Uh, it seems like so that's where we want to spend our time. Um, yeah, so obviously at, at its root, it is a uh, it is a means of procreation. Uh, that's, you know, the most basic purpose of sexuality. Uh, you can't make babies without having uh, sexual intercourse. Um, technology is certainly pushing that, but you still have to, so you, you know, this might, I don't know, might be a, well, there is a point, I guess, uh, in, in, we have the ability now to, uh, impregnate a woman, uh, still requires the, the male's contribution, but they don't have to have the act of, of sex. Mm-hmm. But that's why God created it. That's, that's a big part of it to, uh, to make, uh, reproduce. That's the fundamental, uh, uh, command to Adam and Eve in the garden and their offspring to, uh, to make more, make more humans kind of thing. Uh, but it goes beyond that. It is, uh, it is intended for pleasure. Mm-hmm. There's an entire book mm-hmm. in the Bible devoted to sexual pleasure. The Song of Songs, as I like to call it, or Song of Solomon, as it's typically rendered. Um, to uh, to anticipate a question you're going to ask me later, um, there's you know there's not a whole book of the Bible on giving. There's not a whole book on the Bible on justification by faith. Uh, well, well, I suppose you could argue that some get <laughs> some get very close. Um, so maybe that's a bad example. But when you think of all the things that Christians get animated about and get excited about. Just just to put it in perspective, here's an entire book the Holy Spirit inspired to describe sexuality um, and, and its pleasure. So uh, that elevates it, just the pleasure part, uh, as long as it's between a husband and wife. And then thirdly, like everything else in our life, it is a picture of Christ and the church. Mm-hmm. We see at the at the end, and I'm happy to dive into this if you want to later on, yeah. but at the end of, of the Bible, there is a uh, an, an implicit 
description of sexuality to describe the joy that we're going to have when Jesus comes back and takes us as his bride. So it's really in the Bible cover to cover. You've got Adam and Eve. They're naked and unashamed, and they became one flesh. That's sexual. Uh, You've got the Song of Songs right in the middle of the Bible. Mm Mm-hmm. Very erotic, and then you've got the uh, the end in Revelation 19, uh, the wedding uh, celebration of Jesus and his people. So the, you could argue, and I do at our marriage conferences, that the Bible is about sex from beginning to end. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> if you um, if you do read the Bible, you're going to realize that there is sex all through it. Um, it it's part of being a human and, and part of uh, who we are uh, in our culture, our lives. And it gives the positives and also the dangers that that are mentioned there. A question: Go back to something you said at the very beginning. Do you think one of the reasons that the church struggles with a lot of the issues of sex, uh, fornication, adultery, and stuff like that is because the fact that the church for so long had had this um, uh, it would, the to- the topic was almost taboo. Do you think that's one of the reasons instead instead of having addressed it from a biblical standpoint uh, more sufficiently that, that that's one of the reasons that that we've had so many issues in churches? I think it's a definitely a contributive factor. Uh, yeah. Again, even with our kids. Now, we gave the warning at the beginning to, you know, if, if you want to send your kids away from this discussion, right. that's fine. Um, I think there's a, a danger in that approach if that's the only approach you have, because right. it is such an innate part of who we are as mm-hmm. humans. Mm-hmm. We, at a very young age, we are interested in sex. Um, we want to explore it, and we're going to seek out answers. Mm-hmm. And if the home, if, if, if parents and the church treat this as a taboo subject, mm-hmm. then the kids are going to seek out information somewhere. Yeah. Well, that only leaves non-Christian sources, or at mm-hmm. least sources that we as parents in the church don't have any control over. So whether it's friends, books, internet, whatever they're doing, they're going to, they are going to seek it out. They just are. That, that, again, it's such a, a, a driving force in a young person's life. And it's intriguing. Mm-hmm. And the more mysterious we treat it, the more taboo we treat it, it makes them want to just explore it even more. Right. So I, the the approach we take, both in my home and my church, is we're very frank. We're very open, mm-hmm. uh, admitting, agreeing that there is a um, there is an appropriate amount of information to give at certain right. ages. Right. But we don't we don't treat the word sex. We don't treat uh, other things um, as taboo. In fact, we preached on you know through First Corinthians a couple years ago or so. And when we got to like First Corinthians seven, uh, we did tell our people that uh, you know, hey, this is the topic. Because as husbands and wives, you're not to withhold from each other, and we're going to talk about that. Uh, we would encourage you to leave your at least your you know eleven, twelve, and up your kids in there so they can mm-hmm. hear from the mm-hmm. Word of God what this is. Now, if we were doing a Song of Solomon series, <laughs> eh, probably probably we wouldn't do that from the from the pulpit. Um, but I, we just want our culture of our church to realize this is a good thing when done right. Here's the key. Here's, here's what, uh, we try to communicate to everybody. God is not against sex. Uh-huh. He's against sin. Right. And that's what we want our, all of our kids in our church, my family, everybody to understand. God is not against sex. He's against sin. Yeah. Uh, um, how do we know that? How do we know that God is, is for sex? I mean, what, 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 what is there anything, uh, he created, he created us to, is there? Can we can we point to things and besides? Okay, so we song of Sol- song of Solomon. Um, is there any other things that would lead us to believe that this is this is because there's there's even like Catholic old traditional Catholics where they believe that sex was not meant to be uh, pleasurable. Uh, it was it was the sole purpose was for procreation. Uh, it, how do we how do we 
discuss that with them and, and tell them, no, th- there's definite understanding that it's for pleasure. Well, again, all the examples we've already given and, and others, but Song of Solomon is, is one of the big places there because uh, the only way you can make that <laughs> not be about pleasure is to say it's about Christ and the church, yep. which it is in one sense, like everything else is, but uh, yeah, that's a that's a really, really hard sell. You know, um, and there, there have been people in the past, and, and uh, I, I know, first encountering it, where they, where they believed that um, it was all... Uh, um, allegorical. allegorical about the church. And so I've actually heard uh, a gentleman preach through not the whole entire book, but but parts of it. And uh, parts that I thought were pretty steamy where it was turned out to be a spiritual allegory to him. And he he just he allegorized it all. And I was like, I'm not I'm not getting that. I'm, I think there's more. There's other stuff to this than that. So, yeah. yeah, no, no way. No way. Well, and you have other passages like Proverbs five, right. where there Solomon says to his son, which mm-hmm. this is so instructive for us as Christian, as fathers. This mm-hmm. is a father talking to his grown married son. Mm-hmm. I mean, most of us probably can't even fathom our fathers <laughs> ever talking to us about this, much less when we're married and, and can actually do it. And he says to his son, be satiated with your wife's breasts. Mm-hmm. That's what he says, so that you don't go wander off with the adulterous woman who will lead you to, you know, the pit. Be satiated. Be have so much. That, but this is what it, in the Hebrew. Yeah, this is what it means. Right. Have so much mm-hmm. of your wife's breasts that you can't handle anymore. Mm. Uh, there is no way to spiritualize that and make that a a no. um, a Christ uh, in the church kind of thing. He, he's saying take great pleasure in your wife's body uh, because it's good and it's yeah. uh, you know it's it's not the most romantic purpose. It's kind of like First Corinthians seven. Don't withhold from each other so that you're not tempted. Uh, you know, thankfully there is more to it than that, but right. there's not less than that. Right. Exactly. Uh, who 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 are the intended participants in in sex? Yeah, and this is this is the key to the difference between sex that God smiles on and mm-hmm. sex that He doesn't. It's a, a man and his wife. Period. That's it. Mm-hmm. Any other configuration is wrong. Okay. It's that okay. simple. Right. Um, what a. Uh, are there any? Are there any res, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, besides procreation being a result of sex, is there anything else that results from sex? What are, what are, what are the things that come about when 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 sexual union occurs? Uh, feels really good. Um, <laughs> Amen to that. <laughs> um, it, there's a it, it seems, and I and this I can't take you to a, a chapter and verse, mm-hmm. but at least in my experience, uh, there is a connection there. When, when, the, when the Bible describes this as one flesh, I think the primary uh, meaning of that is uh, physically you become one. I mean, if you think about just what it means when a man enters his wife, mm-hmm. which also, by the way, is a biblical term that most right. translations don't, don't right. use, but that's how the right. Bible describes it. When a right. man enters his wife, uh, you know, think about a, a God's eye view, a perspective, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They are one. They become one person. They are so we're so interlocked that uh, that we look kind of like one person. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is that element, and then of course the two becoming one creates a a one person when there's procreation involved. But uh, at least you know, from, speaking from spirits, there is a there's a an emotional relational. Mm-hmm. Uh, I might even say spiritual bond, a spiritual or relational oneness that comes about uh, for a husband and wife, which, you know, as the world treats this as merely an animalistic desire uh, and have as many different partners as you can, as often as you can, it's all this this fleshly, um, animalistic 
kind of, of pursuit. But as, as Christians who, who do recognize there is a spiritual component here, this does represent our union with Christ, um, there's just something that happens there, and it, it bonds the relationship. It strengthens re- the yeah. relationship, uh, which is which is crucial. And it, it's 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 sad that uh, so many marriages struggle in this area and rarely have sex. They're missing out both on the physical pleasure yeah. and on the the relational unity that can come about. Yeah, I mean, people people need to consider how different this act is, at least in its intended uh, form as God intended it to be, than anything else in human experience. Uh, we have meals with many people. We, we experience many things with many people. But there's this, this one act that we're ex- supposed to experience it with just one person in all of our life, um, and it done continuously. And it sets it apart like no other thing. Uh, unfortunately, it's not viewed that way. It's not understood that way. But that's how God intended it to be, and so it sets it apart in that way. Um, so it develops, I think, an intimacy between the, the two that exists that that is not involved in any other thing. I mean, I, I eat with my wife, but I eat with other people. Um, right. But no other person do I do this with, um, and and it, it so it it makes that um, uh, set apart, special, different, holy, if you will, in that way. Um, and 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 I think we need to understand it in that way. But and it's not, um, and like you said, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. It's a terrific thing. And again, we should be encouraging more of it uh, because of that aspect of it as well. So um, let me let me go on and ask you. Um, in your marriage book, you you say uh, here it is. I'm going to ask you. Uh, in your marriage book, and if you didn't know, folks, Doug wrote a book on marriage and premarriage. And if you haven't gotten it. If you haven't read it, he's holding it up right now. Uh, God's Design for Marriage. It is fantastic. And I encourage you, though, don't read it alone. This is something you need to read with your spouse. There's, there's stop and discuss parts of it all throughout it, which are very good, very enlightening. Especially if, you, if, if you've if you been married for a while, too, this is a good thing for you to read. If you're newlywed, you need to read it. If you are if you haven't gotten married yet and you're, you're, you're planning on getting married, I'd encourage you to pick up the, the premarital counseling one um, or the premarriage one. It's fantastic, uh, but in the, in the one on 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 marriage, he includes a chapter just devoted to sex. He doesn't go into that depth with the pre-marriage one. Let me ask you: You said that marriage is a or that sex is a Christian virtue. Can you you did say use you didn't use those exact terms, but you alluded to it as amongst other Christian virtues type thing. Pat, page two hundred eight. He's looking it up <laughs> to make sure that I don't misquote him. You did misquote me, but, so let me correct but you. I don't. I don't. I don't see a problem with calling that a Christian <laughs> virtue uh, in that way. So quit. Yeah. So here's what I said. Uh, pause for a moment to compare lovemaking with other Christian virtues. Is there an entire biblical book on feeding the hungry? The expected answer is no. Uh, how about attending church? Stewardship? Praying? Teaching? Evangelizing? Now consider that the Holy Spirit inspired a whole book, the Song of Solomon, with the single purpose of illustrating God's design for erotic, sensual, sexual passion of a husband and wife. Sex matters to God. Um, well, if we look at the strict definition of virtue, right. it might be hard to make a, a sex fit. But uh, the idea there is um, this: the fact that Song of Solomon exists in our Bible mm-hmm. it, it shows us how 
significant this is in God's eyes, that we, that we enjoy this, that we thrive in this, that our, our sex lives don't grow stagnant and, and they don't become, uh, the sexuality does not become a divisive part of our relationship. It's supposed to be the one thing that unites us like nothing else, as you were describing earlier. Um, so when you think of all the other uh, virtuous things, maybe if I use it in the, uh, the adjectival form, all the other virtual, uh, virtuous things in our life, uh, sex should be near the top of the things that, that are strengthen our marriage and, and bond us together. So that's what I was getting at in the book. Yeah. By the way, uh, I don't think you mentioned this. The, the book is called God's Design for Marriage, mm-hmm. and the red one is the married edition. The blue <laughs> one is the pre-married edition. And I actually do talk pretty frankly about sex in the pre-married edition mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Because again, I want uh, couples who are heading this direction to uh, to really have a, a positive view of it going in. But I, I get into a little more detail in the uh, in the married version, and not it's not a technique book uh, and that kind of thing. It's really attitude and really trying to encourage people that the Bible, God is for this. Yeah. You know, God wants you and your wife to have great thriving, passionate sex. It's why He gave it to us. Um, so that's that's the heart of the the book. But that's what I mean by the the virtue. As a pastor, you've done lots of counseling. Would you say that um, uh, when you talk with folks who have a, a, a very strong Christian marriage, that they always have a strong Christian or strong sex life as well, healthy nope. sex life? No, nope. no, nope. no. Nope. Nope. Talk to me about that. What, what, why? How could they have a a, a strong marriage uh, and, and not have a healthy sex life? Well, so what most couples these days would would uh, define as a strong Christian marriage, mm-hmm. which is the terminology used there, would mm-hmm. be, um, you know, they, they pray together mm-hmm. and they go to church together mm-hmm. and they are kind of unified, mostly unified on, on raising their kids and they treat each other well. They might even have a regular date night. Mm-hmm. So they they act well. They 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 are good at spiritual disciplines as a family okay. and and that kind of thing, that does none of those things lead to a thriving sexual relationship. Mm. Um, Again, you and I could do all those things, right? Right, right. You and I could raise kids together, theoretically, if we all <laughs> in the same home, and we could eat together, we could pray together, go to church together, and all those things, and and not have that relationship. Uh, that, that Obviously, you and I would never have that relationship, but the, the point is there's that those things are good Christian Virtues, right. but that does not lead to thriving sex. Right, and it's. I would say that I would say that that's not a good strong Christian marriage if that's not involved because of the fact that um, a big aspect of, of marriage is the enjoyment of each other. Um, that's not taking part and that's not taking place in that area. So I would say that there, even if they had all those things in place, um, there's some work that needs to be done. To get this joy in there, uh, and this, this satisfaction and this pleasure that that's lacking, I mean, if if we look at, um, uh, if we understand that marriage is a reflection of Christ in the church, then what we described right there between the the good Christian marriage, if that was a reflection of of Christ in His church, we'd say there's something wrong with the relationship between the church and Christ because there's no pleasure, no joy, in that intimate relationship. So I think that sex is something that's essential in order to be able to reflect that. I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, there are many, many people that I've counseled, many people in, in your church and, mm-hmm. and people listening that would say, if you asked them, do you have a good Christian marriage? Mm-hmm. They would say yes. Right. And then when you dig into how is their, the sexual part of their relationship, 
uh, you know, it's, it occurs every now and then, and it's not really that exciting. We've got so much going on, so many things to do, yada, yada, yada. And I would agree with you, they're missing out mm-hmm. on such a wonderful part of the relationship. Yeah, yeah, definitely. definitely. Um, when you do counsel, though, folks who are having troubles with their marriage, how often is it that sex is 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 an issue in there? Um regularly. I mean, I've yeah. never counseled a couple that had a thriving sex life and were completely a mess in every other way. Mm-hmm. Um, because sex is the, it's the response to everything else in the relationship. Um, so if you just start and, and here's, so I, I've had interesting, uh, experiences where couples will come in and tell me they have marriage problems and I'll ask about their sex, sex life. And they're like, we didn't come here to talk about that. It's like, okay, <laughs> but that'll tell me a lot of the state of your relationship. And then I've had couples come in and say, Hey, can you help us with our sex life? And I spend a lot of time talking about their relationship and other parts. And they're like, yeah, yeah. But we came here to talk about sex. Yeah. But sex is a response to all these other things. Is is the man leading well? Is she submitting? Are they are, are they doing some other things which we can talk about? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's crucial, but it's it's you can't just dig in and work on sex if these other things are not going well. Also, mm-hmm. what 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 are some of the dangers uh, in a marriage if the if the if if there's not a lackluster or there's, if there's a lackluster um, uh, sex life going on? What what are some of the dangers? Uh, why does why does Paul uh, warn so strongly uh, about this? Well, it's because sex is such a strong desire, um, uh, and, and God created that. So mm-hmm. that's not a bad thing, uh, but we are to fulfill that desire in only one way, and that is with our spouse. If we don't have the opportunities to do that, then it's very hard to resist. Um, and, and so with, uh, with abundant access to other sexual outlets, the temptation is great. I mean, mm-hmm. again, you brought this up earlier. We live in such a sexualized mm-hmm. culture— that uh, not only the visual, not only the pornography and the conversations and the and and all those things you were describing earlier, but just here in, in the U.S., um, it would not be hard for any of us to go find a sexual partner today. Mm-hmm. There are people ready and willing. I'm not even talking about paying for it. I'm not right. talking about prostitution. I'm just saying going to the right places. There are people that we, we've created such a culture that it, it, marriage has nothing to do with it, and you know, feminism has has pushed open the door for women now to to not be looked down upon for sleeping mm-hmm. around like mm-hmm. crazy. We've convinced women that they're just like men and they yeah. should have sex with everybody all the time. Really, it, it is just not hard to go find a partner. Uh, and and so the temptation is great if you're not pursuing a thriving sex life with your spouse. There's all kinds of opportunities for anybody to go that direction. And we would love to think that uh, that good, committed Christians at our churches mm-hmm. are not tempted by this. We're naive mm-hmm. if we think that's true. Right. I can tell you story after story after story. It is sad mm-hmm. uh, how p- many people fall. And and it, it so it takes, the, again, 1 Corinthians 7, don't withhold from one another so that you will not be tempted. Proverbs 5 it tells the man, be sa- satisfied with your wife so you're not tempted by the adulteress. Uh, we have to spend time as couples pursuing this and, and good sex too, not mm-hmm. just, you know, uh, having the physical release. It, it, it's more than that. Uh, I've counseled couples, men and women who have, have committed adultery. Uh, it's not because there was no sex in their marriage, but it wasn't the result of cherishing and, 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 and leadership and, and the things that make it good. It was just merely physical release. Mm-hmm. Well, f- frankly, you don't need a partner for that, mm-hmm. to be very candid. Um, married sex is supposed to be much more intimate and, right. and enjoyable. So there's a huge danger in our right. culture because of the ready, available partners to have sex with. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I've, it's, it's interesting. You brought that up. I've heard uh, folks discuss um, uh, affairs that their spouses have had where uh, there was sexual uh, activity going on, but the reason it was sought elsewhere was because it wasn't um, satisfying, uh, wasn't thrilling enough or, or uh, didn't didn't meet his expectation. Um, it just was a release type thing. Um, you know, here's a, here's, I, I, let me ask you this too. I've heard, um, women, a few women in the past say this comment about their husbands. And it sounds to me, I, it was very naive, um, that their husband, uh, I don't, she, she, they say, would say, and it was two women specifically I'm thinking of who said, I don't have to worry about my husband in regards to sexual temptation, he doesn't have that problem. What would you say to a woman who says that about their husband? Uh, she's naive. She's looking. She's she's believing a lie. That's absolutely yeah. not true. Yeah. And the, and same goes the other way. Uh, right. Again, part of the lie is that women are not as sexual as men. That's a lie. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a uh, that that's just crazy. We that's a that is setting your spouse up for danger. Mm -hmm. Now there are those both sexes who have shut it down so much yeah. that they, they act as though they have no sexual desire and there's nothing to worry about, but they're still vulnerable and in the right setting, right situation, it, it'll come out. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think we need to, uh, just assume that that's, that's a temptation in which, which, uh, all of mankind is susceptible to. And so we do need to be on guard in that, especially uh, your spouses do what you can to help them out with that. Um, let me let me ask you what what do you counsel when you do have those couples come to you who who say help us with our sex life what do you, what are some tips that you give to them and this this is the part where everybody's leaning into their speakers now and they're <laughs> wanting to hear this so yeah so so Hollywood Disney uh, romance novels have completely destroyed uh, all the good things about sex uh, it's all lies mm -hmm. none of none of what you see in those movies is what really is driving sexual passion let's let's stick to the word of God God yeah. God designed it he knows he knows what it's about uh, for instance uh, in, in my book I talk a lot about cherishing and dates and how important it is for the husband to take charge of dating and all of that but that's not what ignites a woman's sex drive uh, that if the sex drive is not already ignited, then uh, the dates and, and the romance, the Valentine's Day stuff uh, isn't going to really get her going and, and vice versa. Um, so think about the very beginning. So uh, you asked the question, what do I counsel them? Well, if it's uh, I, I think I've already alluded to this. First, we get, dig into other aspects of their marriage and make okay. sure that the fundamentals are in place. But assuming that they're working on those things, it spills over into, into some of this. So uh, Song of Solomon, it's all right here. Um, and I'm writing a book on this, by the way, that uh, will be out. I don't know when. Um, I'm, I'm test driving it on uh, on some guys right now to, uh, to see. Uh, and, and they're not... Uh, well, yeah, I'm going to just stop talking about that. Um, <laughs> it'll, it'll come out when it comes out. But uh, here's, here's just at the beginning of Song of Songs, uh, there's so much in just these first four verses that couples today don't get. All right, so the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's, is just the title, Song of Songs. Hmm. Think of that construction. We use it in terms of King of Kings. Mm-hmm. 
Right? When we call Jesus the King of Kings, when the Bible calls him the King of Kings, he's saying of all the kings there are, he's the king of all of them. He's the right. highest king, right? Right. Song of songs. Solomon wrote over a thousand songs were told. Of all the songs he wrote, this is the song. This is the greatest <laughs> of all the songs. And what is it? It's an erotic poem. Mm -hmm. it's, it's what it is. So the first thing we hear is the inner thoughts of the woman. That's important. We, we are told contradictory things in, in our culture that uh, women are not as um, amorous as men and they're just as amorous as men. And in Christian culture, what we hear more often is they're not as amorous as men. They're not as visual as men. They're not as interested in men, especially when they start having kids and they just sex drive isn't really as strong as men. That's not true. Mm -hmm. It's just that men don't know how to um, take their sex drive out of park uh, it, it very well. So here are her inner thoughts. She's saying, may he kiss me with the kisses of his mouth for your love is better than wine. That word love there is love making. That's the idea. She would rather have sex with her, her man than to, to drink wine. And in that day, wine was refreshing. It was, uh, it was the symbol of gladness, of joy. It's kind of the height of delight. Let me, yep. let, me, let me just throw in here. If you're reading from the CSB, you already picked up what Doug just said because it says here, for your caresses or acts of love are more delightful than wine. Yes, and the, the CSB and the NET, <laughs> the, the NET Bible, both do a much better job than the NAS on this. The NAS uh, is, is great in so many ways, but they, they don't do this book very well. <laughs> so feel free to interject those because probably the right. CSB is better on all these things. Uh, so why, why? So first of all, stop. The opening of this song is the woman wants to have sex, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That's the first yeah. line. Yeah. Why? What is it about him? Is it because he buys her gifts? Is it because he takes her out on dates? Is it because he s sings and dances with her and all that? No. It says, <laughs> your oils have a pleasing fragrance. Your name is like purified oil. Therefore, the maidens love you. Okay? Those are the three things she states as to why she right now wants to have sex with him. So, one, his oils, uh, they, he smells good. You'd be shocked. You would be shocked. Maybe you wouldn't. I'm shocked. And how many women have told me, if you just take a stinking shower, I'd be a little more interested. <laughs> These are grown men. At least physically, they're grown men. <laughs> I had one husband tell me one time, literally, he takes a shower maybe once a week. Oh, my. <laughs> and he, he was, he's sincerely did not understand why his wife didn't draw near to him. Oh, my. It's like, uh, you know, his hair was greasy and he smelled, he worked, he worked hard. You know, this, he didn't have a desk job. I was like, this is not that difficult, man. Take a shower. But, but it's more than that. Um, the, the oils there, it was very expensive. Mm -hmm. Not everyone had these oils in that day, these perfumes, the, 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 uh, cologne. So that indicated a, a, a wealth, a, uh, some success in his business. Women are attracted to successful men. There's nothing, there's nothing uh, cheap about that. There's nothing ungodly about that. It doesn't mean uh, you know, that a billionaire is our standard, uh -huh. 
but a, a woman wants a man who's successful, who's pursuing right. things and accomplishing things. Uh, that that uh, so we as men need to portray ourselves right. as as successful, and, and we need to be successful. You can't fake this, but but uh, we should be pursuing things that's attractive to our wives. That's part of what attracted her to you in the first place. Was you know she didn't think I'm I want to marry a loser. You know, let me let me find a deadbeat, a guy who's lazy, a guy who's not going anywhere. No woman go, goes, oh, that's so attractive that he, he doesn't have a job and doesn't do anything is a failure. You know, no woman does that. Uh, there, there's something that's that's stimulating to a woman about that. And what happens is we get married and we forget that and we 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 stop pursuing success uh, and our wives see that. Second thing, your name is purified oil. Again, his name means something. This guy is somebody. Now, we can't all be the CEO of our company. We can't all be the leader of everything. But whatever we do, it, it could be a ministry. It could be in our job. It could be in some, some event, some, some neighborhood club, whatever. Every man must be a leader in something. We must, we must take charge of something. Our name has to mean something to somebody. That, that's just part of what it means to be a man. And mm-hmm. you know, maybe we should come back and do an entire episode on just masculinity and, yeah, and manliness because – it's 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 we're lacking it in, in our in our culture in the church. But uh, this is what she wants. This this guy's name means something. Mm-hmm. It's rich, like that mm-hmm. oil poured out. And she's like, I with him, I want to have sex with him. Third thing, and this is where uh, I get the most pushback, but it's right here in the Bible. She says, therefore, the maidens love you. Mm-hmm. This is the kind of guy that the young single women mm-hmm. want to be with. Mm-hmm. That's what she says. And mm-hmm. she sees it and she knows it. And she's like, I'm thankful to be with him and I want him and I better pursue him because if something happened to me, these women lining up. Right. He's the kind of guy that these younger women are lining up to be mm-hmm. with. Mm-hmm. Now, again, as Christians, we would never condone some guy going out and attracting the eye of these young maidens in that sense. But he's the kind of guy that a single woman would love to be with and that sparks her sensual desires and that's what she says i want to i want to have him so she says again draw me after you let us run together the king let him take me to his chambers what is it how does the csb translate uh, verse the end of verse 4 there verse 4 is uh, take me with you take me with you let's hurry oh that the king would bring me to his chamber all right so again that's very telling she says and she's speaking in her own mind here she's mm-hmm. not saying this out loud Take me. I wish you would take me. Mm-hmm. If if husbands listening to this, and we should have we should have told the husbands to uh, we should have told the wives to to go and let husbands learn and, and lead better in this whole area. Should have put that caveat in the beginning. Husband, listen to me. Your wife wants you to take her. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we have been told that women are just as sexual as men. I just said that a few minutes ago, yeah. and I believe that with all my heart. But they are not as expressly sexual as men. Mm-hmm. Your wife has way more sexual thoughts than she will actually let on about. <laughs> and it's great for a wife to initiate, but most of the time, even if a woman wants to have sex, she's not going to initiate. It. Even in this age of freedom mm-hmm. where nobody's going to look down on her and a husband would love that, hey, yeah, you, you instigate um, or in- initiate. It, that's not normally what she's going to do. But in her heart... If you're an attractive man, she's saying, I wish he would take me. I wish he would take me. Take me into his chambers. Husbands, take your wives. Take them into the bedchamber. 
uh, that's she wants you to take leadership there. She's saying this in her head uh, and, and wishing that he would do this. Take me into your chambers. And notice she calls him king. Now, in this case, in the story, it is a king. It may not be King Solomon, but it's a king. But you see, even that phrasing, that idea of kingship, um, a woman wants to be with a king sexually. So we as men need to lead our wives mm-hmm. and present ourselves as that kingly man, and that arouses her sexually. There's no hint here of taking her out on a date, buying her gifts, and those kind of things, flowers. I'm not saying don't do those things. I'm just saying we have been sold a bill of goods that those are the things that are sexually arousing to a wife. Right. They're not. Mm-hmm. It's his who he is. It's his stature and his initiative and his kingliness. Mm-hmm. And then when we buy the gifts and take them out on date, that is we've already created the desire by being a man worthy of being wanted. Mm-hmm. Now that's like the the meal together. Uh, the desire's there. Now we're actually having the meal. That's the date. Yeah, and it's it's interesting. These, this, you know, the, the lack of masculinity um, is 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 on the decline. In our world right now, uh, specifically in our in our country, in our culture, West Eastern East or Western civilization, uh, masculinity is on the decline right now. Uh, it wouldn't, and and then it goes hand in hand with the 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 um, sexual perversity that we see going on nowadays. Um, they don't have to be masculine in order to get um, sexual satisfaction. Um, women are are not getting sexual masculinity uh, from, or, or masculinity from men and they're not attracted to them in that way. Uh, so you're seeing a perversion of, of what they are attracted to going on. It's, it's really interesting when you start comparing that, how, these, how these, these, these things fit together and the result of a lack of them working together, what's going on in our world right now. So your number one advice to men then would, would, would uh, be to man up and become, become more masculine. Um, Absolutely. Feminism has ruined the sex lives of everybody. Yeah. So, so forget the chocolates, forget the roses. Let's focus on, dude, you need to, you need to become a man. Um, And that's what, that's what she wants. She wants a man, you know, and that's, it's what you're hearing so much from the, the secular culture, even, even Christian pop psychology, pop Christian uh, counselors these days is, is um, uh, men need to become more like women in -hmm. order to gain their wife's, uh, desire that uh, she she's gonna she's feeling more intimate with you when you when you pour out your heart and talk to her um when you when you do these things for her and it becomes a trade system um but what you're saying is is we need to give them what they really want and that is a man (laughs) yeah so feminism is trying to make women like men Uh and make men like women right this has been the goal since the very beginning, trying to eliminate the mm-hmm. distinctions. Mm-hmm. This is why feminism drives homosexuality, feminism drives transgenderism, all those things. And even Christians who would disavow homosexuality and transgenderism, we are wimps. Mm-hmm. We are teaching a feminized Christianity in most churches today, mm-hmm. uh, where men are acting like women, and then they can't understand why their women are not sexually attracted. Mm-hmm. So think about back to you said forget the chocolates and, and all that. If if I'm not manning up, if I'm not the kind of man that we just described here, if I'm not a kingly man mm-hmm. before my wife and I buy her chocolates, take her out on a, on a Valentine's date, if we have sex that night, it's because now we have a, a transaction taking place. Right. I've given her something she enjoys yep. and now she's going to give me something that I enjoy. Right, right. That's not how sexual attraction thrives. Mm. 
sexual attraction thrives. I am attracted to her. She's a beautiful woman. I'm the kind of man that Solomon's describing here that makes her want to have sex with me. And now we have two people who are desiring this. Mm -hmm. There's no transaction. There's no tit for tat. There's no, I do this for you. You know, I scratch your back, you scratch mine. I give you a back rub. You give me a back rub. I do this for you. Do that. No, none of that. That's not sexually alluring for anybody. Feminists, by the way, have the least amount of sex and the least pleasing sex of all. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and men who are feminist, uh, their lives are miserable and they are constantly trying to woo their wife to, to give them uh, sexuality. And, and the wife now is in complete control. Mm-hmm. She has what he wants. And he keeps thinking, if I act more pleasing to her, she'll give me sex. Well, she does. She doles it out as long as he's a good boy and does mm-hmm. what she wants. None of that. that again, the, this whole thing is a picture of Christ and the church. It, we don't play Jesus like a fiddle, right? We don't say, hey, Jesus, we've got some things you want. And as long as you're a good boy, we'll give them. It's totally opposite. He's the king of kings. And we say, I, will, I just want to be with you. Right. I will serve you. I'll give mm-hmm. my life for you. I will do whatever it takes to please you because mm-hmm. you're the high king. Mm-hmm. You're the Lord of lords. We as men are to picture that. And that is attractive to our wives. Uh, it's right here. It's in the scripture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We need to talk more about that topic um we need to we need we need to have more uh more we need to set more time for podcasts but we also in our churches in general um need to give a call for men to to be men uh well the reason that's not happening is most of our pastors right don't get it right they're very good on theology but this is a glaring weakness in most right. church leaders. Right. I, I agree. And, I, and if, if you've been to, to Bible colleges or seminaries recently, you're going to notice that that's not really really stressed either. Um, a good biblical theology of masculinity is, is not present. Um, in fact, quite the opposite because of the fact that so much uh, pop psychology and, and, and quote-unquote biblical counseling, which is not often biblical counseling, has seeped into the, the, uh, the schools and such. And so they're taught this, and they they go out, and of course they disciple their their congregants in this in this manner as well. Uh, we could spend a lot of time talking about that, um, and I think that's important. We need to understand it. But there, folks who who've, who keep your ear out. There's more stuff coming on on that topic. Um, but uh, let me let me go back to some other other questions about sex. Um, I hear sometimes women say uh, that their husbands want sex too much. <laughs> um, almost to the point where they were willing to call uh, uh, their husband a pervert. Um, is there such a thing? Oh, I suppose there is. But in my experience, most women who say that are really saying something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's not attracted to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not leading well. He's not uh, the kingly kind of man. Uh, maybe he doesn't cherish her at all. Again, mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, you, you said it kind of uh, uh, quickly earlier. I'm not saying get rid of the chocolates and the and the dates <laughs> altogether. No, no. <laughs> but those are those only communicate cherishing to a wife who first respects her husband and mm-hmm. admires him as the mm-hmm. as the kingly right. kingly kind of guy, and then it's a blessing to receive those things from him, and that does uh, stoke the fires for her. So usually, when a wife says he wants sex all the time, uh, she's either it's either her own heart she's. Uh, lacking submission and she's trying to take control and and make him and shame him for his sexual desires or more often in my experience is the man is not leading well and she's expressing another lack and uh, and of course if she does not 
feel protected and provided for and cherished and led well and all those things, then she doesn't want to get close to him. And so that's her reaction to him is, oh, you just you you have this on your brain too much. Um, but in a good relationship, a wife is not saying that she might, you know, certainly there might be times where the guy is pursuing her more than she's interested in. Uh, but if the if the dynamic of the relationship is strong, she welcomes that because even if she's not sensually aroused, she wants to be with her husband. She wants to bless her husband, and she wants to engage in this with him. If nothing else, to 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 be a blessing to him. And then so often, what happens is the wife then becomes more sexually interested once mm-hmm. you get into it. Again, this comes back to we men are supposed to be the initiators. Mm-hmm. Primarily, women are responders. And um, uh, oftentimes, a man will pursue his wife, and she, in her mind, thinks, eh, I don't really want this, but I'll do it. And then as they get into it, realizing, oh, she wants it too. But that mm-hmm. wasn't on her mind in the same way. Right, right. Um, we talked about time management a couple weeks ago, about scheduling everything. Is this something that we, as good stewards of our time and also good stewards of our marriage, is this something we should be doing is putting um, – in our, in our day planners, sex. Yeah. I mean, or I should have all mixed, be spontaneous. Yeah. I have mixed feelings with this in the book. I, uh, I advocate for scheduled sexuality. Mm-hmm. It's in some ways it's a capitulation to where people are. It's not, it's not necessarily the ideal way, but again, I do a ton of counseling. Christian couples are just not having sex. They're right. not having sex very often. And part of the reason is they're too busy, mm-hmm. right? Well, if that's your problem, then get it on the calendar and schedule it. And that it can be wonderful yeah. because you know it's 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 coming, and and you're you have the opportunity to prepare yourself mentally and get excited about it. Um, and I have found that couples that will schedule sex typically have more spontaneous sex because it just gets that part of their marriage going right. again, and right. and now they want it more often. Um, the downside is it it can potentially be just another thing on the calendar mm-hmm. if your mind is not engaged. Again, sex is is driven by desire. So just to to have the obligation to do it, the reason I encourage scheduling for for couples that aren't doing it, aren't, who aren't having sex very often, is hoping that they will also take the time to create the mental pursuit, right. Right. and it becomes a good thing. Right. But uh, so it can be a good thing, and there's nothing wrong with scheduling it, but there are some dangers inherent. Right. Yeah. If if, you, if you're doing a schedule thing, I encourage folks to, to not look at it as. Uh, it's, it's, it's such such time we have to do this. Um, it should be, I can't wait till, you know, um, 12 o'clock runs around, comes around. Um, you know, and, and if you're around your spouse, even if you're not, you can do text messages, but flirt with them beforehand. Um, let them know that you're thinking about them beforehand and how much you're looking forward to it. Um, engage with them. Don't just, Hey, it's 12 o'clock. Uh, we haven't been together or mentally together, emotionally together, whatever it might be, spiritually together all day or whatever it might be. And, and now, boom, here we are. Um, beforehand, um, make sure right. that that relationship is constant and the intimacy is constant, constant before then too. One of the lies, uh, that are told, uh, in all circles is that women are microwaves. I mean, uh, crockpots yeah, and yeah. Men are microwaves, right? <laughs> that men can be turned on like that, but for a woman, she needs to, to be warming up all day uh-huh. long. Uh-huh. That's not true. No. Um, the way that my wife and I talk about it is that we want to keep each other on simmer all the time. Right. When something's simmering, it's really close to a boil. It takes yeah. very little heat then right. to uh, to boil it over. Right. Uh, everything in marriage should be sexual. Mm-hmm. 
because sex really is the defining act of marriage. There right. should be that constant flirting and touching and, and where you, you are acknowledging to each other, we are sexual beings and we enjoy this. Whether it happens right away or not is, right. is not the point. This is just a, a central part of our interaction together. Um, and if you do that, then the act itself doesn't take a lot of what is called foreplay. Mm-hmm. If all of life is foreplay, mm-hmm. then, then you're ready for sex at any time. And it's uh, both a husband and wife are, are getting those things that they need to be sexually interested regularly. So when it's time, uh, let's, let's do it. Let me ask you a question about parenting and in, in, in aspect or relationship, relationship to this. Um, how important is it for uh, kids to see their mom and dad flirting with each other and um, behaving this way toward one another? It's crucial. Again, going back to something we alluded to or spoke about earlier, um, if they don't see a good example mm-hmm. in the home, mm-hmm. then they're going to their their only interaction with sexuality between a, a man and woman is going to be in a sinful area or somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, my wife and I, for instance, we flirt out loud. In fact, our daughter just told us yesterday, "Get a room," <laughs> and I said, uh, "This is where my room. It's my house. Every room is my room. So you get a room if you don't want to yeah. see us kissing and touching and all those things." Um, yeah, it's it's crucial. We we are very open uh, with with that that my that Chris and I have sex that we enjoy sex. Um, they know oftentimes they know when we're having sex in in a sense that you know. So here here's here's an illustration. Uh, my my oldest daughter was twelve huh? several several years ago, and uh, I think it was a Sunday afternoon if I remember correctly. And uh, my wife went upstairs uh, and I told my daughter, I said, hey, I'll be back in a minute. I need to go talk to your mom for a minute. And she went, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> She's 12 years old. <laughs> but she knew that normally when dad says he's going to go talk to mom, it means something else. I said, no, this time, this time I really am going to talk to her. I really will be right back. Um, so we, we, we do premarital counseling and we'll have couples in our home and you know, the last night before, uh, that we meet before their wedding is, is the sex talk and, uh-huh. uh, and we get into all these things and my kids all know that's coming and they yeah. know what it is. And so when, when it's the last night, you know, if, if they're still in the house, like, uh, the other night we were meeting with a couple and my son came up from his room in the basement and he knocked on the door, the basement door loud, bang, 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 bang. I'm coming into the kitchen now. Like, please stop talking about anything that would be embarrassing to me because I'm going to go get a snack or, or my daughter hollered down same night. My daughter hollered down and said, can I come down and get something uh, from the kitchen? And so we said, sure. And she came down and we stopped talking for a minute and I waited until she got all the way across the kitchen and got in. Uh, I forget if she's getting a snack or two, I think. And uh, and then I asked a really provocative, uh, embarrassing question of this couple. And my daughter's like, oh, come on. I told you I was coming down here so you wouldn't do this. And they just know. And I'm always touching my wife right. and we're, I kiss her all the time. And I want them to see healthy right. Christian, God pleasing right. sexuality. So and they they love it, even though they tell us constantly, stop, stop, right, stop, right. gross, turn around. Um, they love it, and it's good for their future marriages. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I also think, yeah, I think it's fantastic for the future marriage. I, you know, them having that expectation um, and what they're looking for and how a marriage should be. I also think it brings a sense of security to them too, um, the children love each other. They, right. Yeah, exactly, exactly. When they see that the, their mom and dad. Um, are really into each other. Um, <laughs> it's really comforting to them, and I think it gives them a sense of security. The um, other thing it does, yeah. real quick. The other thing it does is 
uh, obviously we talk to them about uh, what's appropriate, what's not, mm -hmm. and, and that they sh they need to withhold themselves till they're married and all that. By seeing it in the right context, it drives that point home. Now when they see anybody, yeah, uh, we have, we've right. not we haven't pounded this in their heads. Right. It's just part of our our conversations. But now when they see anybody who's not married. Mm -hmm. Touching, yeah, even holding hands at times, yeah. or certainly kissing, they're yeah. like, "Oh, that's that's bad. They shouldn't be yeah. doing that because yeah. they've seen the positive side of it uh, so often." Yeah, my little girl points that out a lot nowadays, and she says, "Just they're not supposed to be doing that, are they?" And I said, "No." <laughs> I said, "Who's supposed to be doing that?" I said, "Mommy and Daddy." I said, "That's right." I right. said, "That's the way God intended it to be." I said, "So what are they doing?" And and so we we opens up. That's a sin. We don't do that. I said, they, "They're not going to be able to." Um, uh, glorify God with it, and that's what God intended to do: is to use that for His glory. You know, so it's a, it's a, yeah. You know what? If if it's displayed around the uh, your child, your child's gonna see that and pick it up, pick up, pick up on it, and just be able to contrast it with what they see going on in the world. It's it's very helpful, and it makes also when you do go in to discuss those topics with them, it makes it a lot more easy uh, to, to to go into those discussions with them. Let me ask you a few other questions um, that 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 uh, seem to come up when when folks talk about marriage and. Or, or sex and specifically within the, in the fines, confines of marriages are there uh, and this is typically asked from a, a guy's typically asked by the guy is is there anything prohibited in the marriage bed um uh what's what's okay what's not because the culture they may have come from uh the church's background they may have come from or the secular background they may come from may be telling them something so what, what's what's permissible what's not in the marriage bed Without yeah, going into detail. <laughs> sure. Um, so the Bible is not uh, explicit about these kind of things, so mm -hmm. we're, we're sort of left to draw some inferences along the way. Um, uh, I'm going to be this explicit about it. Uh, something like anal sex, uh, It's I have a hard time. I know that is very popular in our culture right mm -hmm. now, mm -hmm. uh, most likely driven by, by pornography. Mm -hmm. um, I have a hard time finding anything good or redeemable about right, that. Right, right. Um, again, we don't, I don't have a text, I don't have a chapter verse to take you to, but it, it uh, so when I get asked this couple, I get asked this by every couple that we do premarital, mm. premarital counseling with, you know, uh, what, what's forbidden, what's allowed. Yeah, and right. I will tell them, I, I guess I will stop short of saying it's forbidden, but just, there's a reason why this is the only option for gay men. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when you think about uh, the whole act itself, it, it certainly f feels degrading. It, it feels like it degrades the act. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's hard for me to find anything justifiable about that. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, and then, of course, anything would include you know, other people. Uh, right. All those things would be wrong. Pornography, all that stuff would be wrong. Um, beyond that, I don't. Uh, I you know I usually then say, okay, give me specific acts you're, mm -hmm. you're talking about mm -hmm. because I, I, I most. Everything else that I could think of, uh, I don't see that the Bible would say that it's wrong. Right. But right. Uh, that's I shouldn't say that because I'm, there are plenty of things you can think of that are wrong. But um, in our pop culture, at least that's that's the one that comes to mind. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, there was a some guy I was listening to a while back. He had three points that basically covered it all. And I can't remember it all. It had to do with um, your 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 spouse alone. Um, oh, what was it? No, no harm. And 
Oh, there was another one. I just wish I could remember it because it was it was consent. Three... Maybe nothing that makes uh, him comfortable or makes yeah, him comfortable. Yeah, yeah, I think like that, that that may be it. It was there were three points that were really good and it covered everything. I thought that was just fantastic. Um, but yeah, and it, and it, that does, those are it's good to discuss. You know what's what's off limits, but it's also good to discuss with your spouse what is not off limits. Why why do husbands and wife not talk about sexual relationship with each other as much as they should? Is, is it um, the, the going back to the, the shame thing? What do you think? Sometimes, um, especially for women, uh, this doesn't seem to plague men as much, but for women who uh, who weren't raised in a, in a home like we're talking about, where, you know, in our home, it's yes, 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 yes. Sex is great, 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 as long as it's with your spouse. Uh, a lot of women were raised in homes and no, 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 no. And then on their wedding night, they're supposed to flip that switch and now be this crazy sexual being who wants it all the time. Mm-hmm. And that's not typically easy uh, for a woman to do that. And so uh, as she pushes in her own mind to clear her conscience, say, now it's good that I'm doing this, uh, some women don't go there as quickly and easily. And so the conversation itself, the discussion, uh, you know, I've she's got the voice in her head of her mom or dad saying, no, 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 no. And now... It just feels awkward and uh, and shameful to talk about these things. So that's part of it. Sometimes it's the husband's not leading well. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's the whole thing because of these other leadership uh, issues that we've described and, and the man is not uh, – he's losing his manhood and, and mm-hmm. not, not being the man. She doesn't want to talk about it because she's not really as interested in sex because he's not that kind of attractive man that, that he was. So there's different dynamics, different reasons for it. Uh, but those are a couple of the most significant ones, I think. And, mm-hmm. and maybe the third one would be, uh, this takes time. Mm-hmm. And as sexualized as we are as a culture, uh, a lot of couples just don't make time to invest in their sexuality. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife and I for years have taken, uh, uh a two night, three day getaway uh, at least once a year, usually twice a year, and have spent m- most of the time in the room. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, or we'd go for hikes. We'd go places in Colorado and the mountain ski towns and go spend some time out uh, hiking and stuff. But then we explore this together, mm-hmm. and that's, those are great opportunities to just talk and talk and talk and explore and try new things and and, uh, and just make it a really wonderful weekend. And then you come back to everyday life, but you've you've moved the whole thing further down the line that now it makes you know the the more routine uh, kind of thing more enjoyable. So just to create that space, create that time to right. say we're going to get away together and we're just going to talk and raise these questions you know, with each other and explore. Uh, most couples it seems don't make the time to do that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now let's let me transition in a little bit to something else because um, we've got some single folks who are going to be listening to this podcast. Um, uh, what are some, some warnings that you would give to them? Because uh, and, and and reasons why uh, they should not engage in premarital sex. Because there's it's it's everywhere. Um, it, folks who are Christians, um, been in church, uh, uh, premarital sex is just just rampant these days. Um, and 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 most of the time, it's thought thought of without a blink. Um, it's it, there's just no consideration to it. What are some consequences and some some dangers of that when when thinking about the fact that they one day will be getting married? Well, you've got the weight of your conscience, just knowing that you have mm-hmm. sinned against you. And uh, for especially for women coming into marriage. Mm-hmm. 
if they have sinned or if they haven't sinned in this area, but their fiance has, mm-hmm. it's often a much greater struggle. Men don't seem to have that big of a deal, uh, you know, whether they had previous relationships or not, or if their wife did. Usually that doesn't seem to be a significant for them, but for women, this often is a big deal. And I would add to that pornography. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, it is a growing problem and and uh, temptation to women, but the impact on women is uh, more significant in terms of she struggles if he's been in pornography. She struggles with that more than the the man does if the if the wife has been into pornography. So, um, if you have premarital sex you are creating uh, things that you have to work through mm-hmm. before you get yeah. married and through marriage. And uh, so uh, very practically what often happens is, um, let's say it's the, uh, uh, well, so the guy, let's say the guy has has had premarital sex, the woman hasn't, they get married, and he doesn't pursue her all that often. She, she was told that men are sex maniacs and that's all he's ever going to want to do. And he doesn't pursue her as much as she was anticipating. Well, the woman starts thinking, oh, I wonder if I'm not as pleasing to him as some of the girls that he had before. Mm-hmm. And so now she's self-conscious. And that kind of thing is, you know, the erotic killer to be self-conscious, to be inhibited, any of those things. You, you, you're just reserved. Mm-hmm. Um, or the opposite can be if, if she was sexual before they got married and he wasn't right. uh, and he starts pursuing her and she's not interested in trying new things, talking about it. She's not as sexual. Then he creates in his mind, oh, I see when she was doing it with guys she shouldn't have been. She was this crazy mm-hmm. sex woman. And now with me in marriage, she's very close and very tame and that kind of thing. So there, and, and this is a real struggle that happens yeah. a lot mm-hmm. in marriage. Now they, they can be overcome and that's where a good premarital counselor will walk through that. Yeah. We talk pretty frankly about past experience because I want both couple, both members of the couple to know what they're getting into and they say, you know, if you're going to say I do, you need to know their past experiences and, and you're, when you, you're taking them as they are mm-hmm. and you're both agreeing to leave the past in the past and move forward. And you can't bring this up later and you can't. Uh, use this again, hold this against the other person later on. Let's let's have it out. Let's let's make sure that you you're willing to go forward in light mm-hmm. of all this. But it does create uh, uh, problems and mm-hmm. temptations and conscious way down and all those things. Yeah. that's what sin does. Sin destroys yeah. beautiful things. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, that's about it. Uh, do you have anything else that you want to add to all this? Um, I just want to reiterate. We need to pursue this as 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 church leaders, but especially as couples, as married couples, we need to present a very positive view of sexuality. It is it is intended to be wonderful. We should not be ashamed of it. Uh, men or women, we should not be ashamed of our sexual mm-hmm. desires in any way. Uh, we shouldn't hide them. Uh, you know, there is an appropriate place and time to to flirt and, and to, to touch each other and those kind of things. But uh, don't be afraid to show your affection for one another. Uh, pursue these things, make time for it. It takes time. Get my book and read it together. Uh, that's, uh, you know, the married edition. And that's, that's a large part of why I wrote it. Um, and uh, yes, there's so much more I want to say. Um, so <laughs> I will just finish. You're a conference speaker. Of course. It's uh, <laughs> um, you know, again, we didn't spend very much time in song of Solomon, but as we go through there, the woman is just as 
physically aroused as a man. This is this is a point that that is downplayed in our culture. We always say men are visual, and that's true. And I would say it's probably true that most men are more visual than women. But just like the man in in the Song of Solomon walks through her body parts, you know, starting at the top of her head and walks all the way down and and talks very graphically about uh, about her breasts being like two gazelles. By the way, I have to tell the story. Uh, I was at a um, uh, museum one time, and I saw uh, two gazelles stuffed, you know, gazelles up on the on the on the platform there. And I looked, and I thought, "What in the world was Solomon thinking?" You know, I, I, that does not in any way make me think of my wife's breasts. I don't, I don't get it. But anyway, he describes in detail her uh, her body. Well, the woman does the same thing. She talks about his body in explicit detail from top to bottom. So men, so we've already talked about if you want to be more sexually attractive to your wife, be a man, be a leader, be strong, be successful, be the kind of person that other women wish they could be with. Mm-hmm. Also, take care of your body. Mm-hmm. She is physically interested. So go back to our, our one last week. Uh, get on a good diet, work out, be strong, be fit. You don't have to be you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger or Chris Fails, but you have to be, uh, <laughs> y- 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 you need to understand that she is not going to be sexually attracted to, to a, a fat, lazy slob. Okay. I, I do sometimes have guys who fit that description and they're upset mm-hmm. that their wife doesn't want to have sex with him. Like, well, here, here's the question. Okay, I'm just going to say this. Would you want to have sex with you? <laughs> Every guy needs to ask himself that question. If the answer is no, right. then become the kind of man that she would want. Right. You know, it, I'm, I'm amazed, to be honest with you, that that, that, that whole lie about women not being um, visually stimulated, um, uh, that attraction is not based upon appearance, that that's still out there. Because mm-hmm. all you have to do is take I – mean, the secular world understands this to be a lie. Uh, you look at the movies that are geared toward women, these romance movies. They don't pick some ugly guy and out-of-shape guy to star in the lead role. They get some Tom Cruise-looking guy uh, because they understand. I, 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 again, you look around at what what women think is, is, is a, an attractive role model uh, of a man, and, and it's not these guys who, um, who have fled their... And, and, and guys... Some of you guys have been using this lie for a long time to, as an excuse, you know. Um, well, you know, it's a good thing she doesn't love me for my body or my way I look or way I, I, I take care of my hygiene and stuff like that because this is what she's going to have, you know. <laughs> you know, um, be a blessing to your, your wife in that way and take care of yourself. Um, give, as, as you said earlier, give your wife um, a man that she wants to be with. So, yeah. Uh, well, we could, like I said, and like you said, can go on and on and on in this topic, and I'm sure you can. You've got probably like a, a book worth of, of notes to go through when you do these conferences, and I'm sure, I'm sure this is those are those conferences where you get um, uh, landslided with with people coming to you after the conferences, asking you and your wife questions, wanting to take you out to dinner so they could spend some private time with you, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, and I know we can go on. If, you, if you're in the neighborhood uh, where Doug's going to be giving these conferences, I encourage you to go um, uh, get his book, like he said, and and just read it. And, and again, don't read it by yourself. Read it with your spouse because it's meant to be read uh, together. 
because there's it's an interactive book. You're going to be asking each other questions, and they're great questions. Uh, they're they're thought provoking, provoking. They got you scratching your head. I know there's times where you ask your spouse questions and, uh, that you hadn't maybe thought of before, and you're like, hmm. Oh, what what are you gonna say to that one? You know, <laughs> I'd be interested in that. You know, never never thought about that before. But uh, ask those questions. Go through the book. Um, it, it's always neat because I hear guys tell me that they they've gone through the book with their spouse and and uh, the blessing it's been and and uh, how wonderful it's been because you get to know your spouse even more through it. Um, so, anyways, uh, next week we've got another podcast coming up. Um, and uh, for some of you guys who've been who've been messaging me. We're going to be very soon be doing a, an episode that uh, you theological nerds are so much looking forward to, and that's on the doctrine of uh, or the teaching of, of imputed active obedience. Uh, that's either going to come up next week or the week after. I'll have to look at the schedule or the Lord's Supper. I can't remember which one comes up first. But uh, be stay tuned for that for you theological nerds. You guys are all just chomping at the bit for those. So uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll come back to that soon. Um, Doug, anything else you want to say? Uh, just to reiterate, uh, guys, uh, pursue your wives. Take her. Don't assume that her answer is no. Assume her answer is yes and that she wants to be taken. And not just Valentine's Day, but uh, every day. Go yeah. go, make this a, a thriving part of, of your marriage. Um, isn't it great that we can talk about active, imputed, imputed obedience and sex? Uh, it's all part of That's life, right? right? It's, That's it's, right. It's all, <laughs> you know, there's not too many podcasts that you're going to have where it starts with the State of the Union address. <laughs> To to uh, discussion about biblical sex to uh, imputed act of obedience. I mean, there you go. That's that's uh, that's the, the new covenant Christian life. There. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, if you if you enjoyed the podcast, please share it. Um, give us a thumbs up, a rating, whatever you can do that on your your platform. But again, I want to encourage you share the the podcast. Uh, we appreciate you doing that. Uh, get the word out to other people. And if you need to contact us, you can contact us at Chris at crossthecrown.org. Uh, there's links in the uh, podcast description for the email address as well. Check us out on Facebook, uh, the Cross the Crown Ministries. There's stuff going out all the time, and resources, um, videos. All, folks, we don't just put out this podcast. There are other podcasts. Uh, there are sermons. There are lectures, there are conference uh, lectures, uh, just tons of stuff out there. Cross the Crown Ministries is a wealth of information uh, it's a great resource. Check out our our website as well, crossthecrown.org, and you're going to find video, audio. You're going to find written stuff. You're going to find uh, journals from the the Bunyan, the the uh, the uh, uh, Sound of Grace journal from from back in the past. And that's a huge treasure trove right there. So get on there, find all that stuff, be blessed by it, spread it, repost it, send it out to friends. A lot of good stuff out there. Educate yourself with it, folks. We want to thank you for joining us, and look forward to to, to talking with you next week. Uh, until then, we want to encourage you to live intentionally Christ-obsessed in all things. Have a great week. I ain't so